0: Welcome to a history of Europe, key battles, the Hussite Wars, part two of two. Last week I described the history of Bohemia the Czech Republic, up to the murder of the priest Jan Hus on the 6th of July 1415. After a show trial of the Council of Constance, Hus was condemned as a heretic and burned at the stake. The main priority of most of the clergy was church unity, and they felt quite justified in using violence and intimidation to achieve this. After all, such tactics had been successfully deployed beforehand, for example, in the crushing of the Cathars in southern France in the 1200s. Little did they know that the martyrdom of Yenhus would ignite decades of warfare in Central Europe, the so-called Hussite Wars. There was no immediate reaction after Hus's death on either side. Church leaders were occupied with the Council of Constance, dealing with the papal schism which had afflicted the church for several decades. In November 1417, after three previous claimants to the papal throne were forced to give way, a new pope was elected, Pope Martin V. Martin V was determined to stamp out heresy in all its forms. He encouraged the rulers of Christendom to take a hard line on any suspected heretics, including Hussite sympathisers. King Venceslav, the IV of Bohemia, however, was by nature tolerant of religious dissent, but he was also a weak-willed and ineffectual ruler. The religious dissidents of Bohemia, the so-called Hussites, were not deterred and continued their own practices. Most notably was the so-called communion of both kinds. The tradition under canon law was that when a church congregation took Holy Communion during the celebration of Mass, they received only the consecrated bread, with the clergy alone partaking of the wine. Instead, the followers of Hus preferred to share the consecrated wine with the congregation. When the Council of Constance condemned this ritual, it rapidly became a key symbol of defiance. The chalice that held the wine became the symbol of the reformed church of Bohemia, and in time the image that would be displayed upon the banners of the revolutionary army. In September 1415, a group of nobles who were in favour of church reform sent a letter to the Council of Constance, condemning the execution of Jan Hus in very strong language. This angered Sigismund, King of the Romans, who responded by sending threatening letters to Bohemia, declaring that he would shortly drown all Hussites. It appears he underestimated the strength of feeling on the matter in Bohemia. Followers of Hus came from all walks of life, especially the poor and downtrodden, but also from a significant number of the nobility. The main division which opened up was between the native Czech population and the local Germans, who felt a strong sense of loyalty to the established church. But divisions quickly opened up as well among the Hussites. The two main groups were the Utrequists, also called the Pragas, who were relatively moderate, and the Taborites, who were more extreme in their demands and based in the town of Tabor. Several other splinter groups also arose among the main groups. And also a significant number of Czech townspeople and nobility sided cited more of the church, either through deep conviction to supreme papal authority, or because of fear of unrest and violence, if religious dissent grew. As the troubles grew and the stability of the kingdom became to be threatened, Wenceslav was persuaded by his brother Sigismund to act more harshly against the Hussites. In February 1419, he ordered the removal of the so-called heretics from all but three churches in Prague. Some Hussites, fearing for their lives, left Prague and strengthened the movement in towns elsewhere in Bohemia, but others continued to fight for their beliefs within the capital. To try and codify their set of beliefs, the Hussites put together a manifesto known as the Four Articles of Prague. This document declared the freedom of all Czechs to take communion in two kinds, the right to free preaching of God's word in Czech throughout the kingdom, the obligation of priests to live holy lives free from materialism, and the denial of all charges against Czechs as heretics. As the Course had to police, this document fostered a new sense of unity across the movement. On the 30th of July, 1419, one of the most outspoken of the revolutionary leaders, Jan Zielewski, preached a sermon to a crowd of followers in which he fiercely attacked the new city council on what he claimed were oppressive measures against the Hussites. He led an angry crowd to the town hall where he shouted up to the town councillors to speak with him. Negotiations started but the councillors refused to discuss the release of Hussite prisoners. During the discussions, a stone was allegedly thrown from a window. The enraged mob surged through the doors of the town hall, burst in and seized the town councillors. They hurled them out of the window, and those who survived the fall were finished off by the mob below. These murders came to be known as the First Defenestration of Prague. When King Vincislav died a few days later, possibly by shock on hearing of the rebellion, but most likely from natural causes, the Hussite revolution began in earnest. There was no clear successor since Venceslav had no children, and the Czech constitution was not clear whether the title of King of Bohemia was hereditary or should be decided by election. Venceslav's younger brother, King Sigismund of Hungary, did not hesitate to claim the throne for himself, although he was too busy in his own realm defending Hungary from the Ottomans, and also engaged in the conflict between the Poles and Teutonic Knights. The prospect of the despised Sigismund as king provoked the rebels to seize the moment and take control of Prague. There they expelled many Catholics, especially Germans, who wished to stay faithful to the Pope. Wenceslav's widow, Sophia of Bavaria, acting as regent in Bohemia, hurriedly collected a force of mercenaries and tried to gain control of Prague, which led to intense fighting. After a considerable part of the city had been damaged, the parties declared a truce. As part of the agreement, the freedom of Hussite worship was guaranteed in return for the expulsion of the more radical Taborites from the capital. Many Czech nobles, though sympathetic to the Hussite cause, were eager to avoid mob rule and turned against the more extreme factions. In the belief that Bohemia needed a monarch to restore stability, they attempted negotiations with the King Sigismund. However, Sigismund had no intention of making any compromises with unruly heretics as he saw them, and insisted that the Hussites return to the fold of the Catholic Church. In an attempt to put down rebellion, Sigismund persuaded Pope Martin V to place the kingdom under anathema and to issue a ball of crusade, which was proclaimed in March 1420. The result was that the Czechs became even more indignant and gathered together an army under leadership of an individual who had become the Hussites' first and greatest leader, Jan Žižka. Žižka was an experienced military commander who, after a successful career as a mercenary, had joined the Royal Guard of King Wenceslaus. At the start of the war, he was over 50 years old and was blind in one eye from an earlier war wound. He shared the religious fervour of the more extreme Taborites, and so fell out with the more moderate citizens of Prague. He moved to Tabor, where he quickly established himself as the town's military leader. There he occupied himself training the Taborites, many of whom were simple peasants and had never fought in battle before. Part of the training was a series of raids on surrounding territories held by royalists. His soldiers thus gained valuable experience and confidence in fighting, and also acquired enemy crossbows, handguns, and cannons. Before any foreign crusaders arrived in Bohemia, further fighting broke out among the Czechs. The Royalists, those nobles who supported a monarchy and the Catholic Church, fought against a Hussite army led by Žižka, but were defeated at the Battle of Sudomer on the twenty-fifth of March 1420. Although a small affair, the battle was the first significant victory for the Hussites and established Žižka's reputation as a great military commander. Prague was the leading city of the Hussite revolution and its leaders sent messages to other Bohemian towns to arrange for mutual defence. The rhetoric became more nationalistic and many German families were forced out of the capital. Also, messages were sent to the leaders of Poland and Lithuania, appealing for help from their fellow Slavs. Sigismund meanwhile assembled a crusader army of several tens of thousands, with a wide mix of nationalities. Along with nobles, knights and squires were numerous clerics up to the rank of archbishop, as well as townspeople and peasants. They were mercenary soldiers, but had the extra incentive of being promised remission for their sins in exchange for their services. They were well equipped and had a strong cavalry and in the beginning they progressed through bohemia without trouble most of the country was still dominated by royalists any noble towns were taken with little difficulty and any Hussites found were burned at the stake by the end of june the crusaders reached prague and laid siege to the city Although most of Prague was in the hands of the Hussites, the city's two main castles were still in royalist hands, and these became the flashpoint for the so-called First Crusade of the Hussite Wars. When Žižka received news of the Siege of Prague, he decided to settle his differences with the Praguers and immediately set off to help his fellow Czechs. Sigismund's army had almost completely encircled the city. The key to completing the encirclement was an area of raised ground on the outskirts of Prague, known as Vitkov Hill. Zhizka knew that if Vitkov was taken, then Sigismund would be able to choke off the city's supplies, and eventually force its citizens into submission. The hill, however, was fortified with timber and earthen walls, and with moats, and so would not be easy to capture. On the 14th of July, 1420, shortly after dawn, several thousand cavalrymen from the Crusader army rode up the east end of the Vitkov Hill. At first they made good progress, crossing the moat and capturing an old watchtower. The few defenders of the hill fought with incredible bravery and so managed to hold back the attack in time for reinforcements to arrive. Zhishka and his elite troops hurried from the city and led the counter-attack, catching the Crusaders by surprise. As the Hussites pressed their flanks, the Crusaders were unable to control their panicking horses and were forced over the side of a steep hill. Within an hour, three hundred cavalrymen were dead, either from the fall or killed by Hussite soldiers who scrambled after them. Others were chased to a nearby river where many drowned, attempting to swim across. It was an outstanding victory for Žižka and his men. The Crusaders were better armed and more numerous, but they were not used to fighting together. Unlike the Hussites, Hujizka had forged into a highly effective fighting unit. The next day, the leaders of the Crusader army met to discuss the next steps. Many of the foreign crusaders were eager to fight heretics, and probably had hopes of sacking Prague. Their commanders ordered the heavy siege engines to have their sights set on the city. Sigismund, however, intervened and prohibited any bombardment, as he dearly hoped to be able to capture Prague without destroying it. He was having ever greater problems holding together the diverse coalition that he headed, and on several occasions had to intervene personally to prevent fighting among his own troops. In particular, there was tension between the Czech and German nobles. The Czech royalists argued that they should be given the responsibility to capture the city, and promised they would be able to do so within a month. Sigismund agreed, fearing the cost of escalating the campaign, and concerned about the epidemic sweeping through his ranks. There was clearly greater resistance against him in Prague than he had hoped, and he did not wish to get stuck in Bohemia for a prolonged period. The Czech royalists proposed a coronation in St Vita's Cathedral in one of the castles, Hradjani, they held in Prague. Albeit not in the circumstances he would have liked, Sigismund accepted, and he was crowned King of Bohemia on the 28th of July, to add to his titles of King of the Romans and King of Hungary. Hoping that the Czech royalists would spare him the trouble and expense of dealing with the Hussites, Sigismund now had to work out how to disperse the army he had assembled. He had counted on Prague's riches to pay for his thousands of mercenaries. Instead, he had to resort to plundering the jewels and precious metals of the churches and monasteries of the Hradchani, promising to restore them after the war. This act, though perhaps necessary to avoid further conflict, seriously damaged Sigismund's standing with the moderates of Prague. On the 30th July, the Crusader army returned home, with Sigismund bitterly disappointed but still hopeful to return soon as the acknowledged ruler of Bohemia. The Crusade of 1420 can be seen as typical of Sigismund's Grand Ambitions, where he seldom had the boldness to fully commit himself. On the other hand, this was only one of several projects Sigismund had on the go and he did not want to risk a heavy defeat or the great cost of a more protracted campaign. As for the Hussites, the retreat of the Crusaders was a huge morale boost and enhanced the reputation of Žižka. Writes Victor Verney, Quote, his genius at organisation, strategy and tactics had been displayed and noted by friend and foe alike. He had melded a fractious coalition with competing loyalties and ideologies into a united fighting force. Zizka also brought the Hussites valuable time to strengthen themselves against subsequent crusades. End quote. Only at SleepNumber stores or sleepnumber.com. Zizka is also credited with several military innovations. Out of necessity, he helped transform the tools of agriculture of his peasant army into the tools of war, such as attaching iron spikes to flails used in farming. He is also credited with helping develop early forms of artillery and pistols. But he is most famous for transforming his followers agricultural carts into war wagons, effectively mobile fortresses, and the innovative battle tactics he devised to make best use of them against superior enemy numbers. The first stage of his tactics was defensive, linking the wagons tightly in a circle from which artillery was fired. Then at an opportune moment when it appeared the enemy was beginning to tire the Hussite infantry and the cavalry would burst out from behind the carts striking violently at the enemy. Such innovative tactics would prove effective numerous times during the course of the Hussite wars. After the crusaders had withdrawn Bohemia was torn apart by a vicious civil war between not only Hussites and Czech royalists but between the various splinter groups of the Hussites. At Prague the priest, Jan Zelivsky, for a time obtained almost unlimited authority over the lower classes of the townsmen. Meanwhile Zhishka's forces fought against the more extreme Taborite faction. Within a year of the Battle of Vidkov, the followers of Zhishka had won the upper hand, and the question turned to who should be chosen to rule the kingdom. The notion of republican government was virtually unheard of, so a suitable monarch was sought. Žižka and his followers believed that the coronation of a new king would deter Sigismund from making further attempts on the Bohemian throne. To this end, he made contact with representatives of Duke Vitautas of Lithuania, with whom he had helped defeat the Teutonic Knights at the Battle of Tannenberg, 1410. Vitautas was duly elected to the Bohemian throne, though in his absence and without his agreed consent. Negotiations with Vitatus continued for the next years, with the wily duke keen to use his opportunity to gain advantage in his personal disputes with King Sigismund. In the meantime, fighting continued in Bohemia. In the summer of 1421, the Hussites had a number of setbacks. At the siege of the castle of Rabi, in June of that year, Jan Žižka was struck in his one good eye by an arrow. He survived, but was now completely blind. The next month the Hussites suffered one of its few military defeats at the Siege of Most. This was a prelude to the major invasion of Bohemia, which would become known as the Second Crusade of the Hussite Wars. A large German army entered Bohemia, and in August 1421 laid siege to the town of Jatek. After an unsuccessful attempt to storm in the city, the Crusaders retreated, on hearing that the Hussite troops were approaching. Sigismund arrived in Bohemia late in the campaigning season. He took possession of the town of Kutnahora, but was decisively defeated by Jan Žižka at the Battle of Nimetsky Brod on the sixth of january fourteen twenty two. Meanwhile, fighting continued among the Czechs. On the ninth of March, Jan Žižka was arrested by the town council of Prague for sedition and was beheaded. In the same month, Duke Vitaltas wrote in a letter to the Pope that he would agree to take the crown of Bohemia in order to return the schismatics to the fold of the established church. Too occupied with his problems at home, he proposed sending his nephew named Coribut, who promptly made his way to Bohemia to act as regent. The authority of Coribut was recognised by the more moderate Hussites, but he failed to bring them back into the official church and was not given full backing by the Poles or Lithuanians. Coribut failed to assert his authority either by negotiation or force of arms. When in 1423 Vitaltas signed a treaty with Sigismund of Hungary, he recalled Coribut to Lithuania. In the treaty, Vitaltas gained recognition from Sigismund for the region of Samogitia in Lithuania, which was of higher priority for him than affairs in Bohemia. With the support of Pope Martin V, a Third Crusade was declared in late 1422. Foreign rulers, however, were too occupied elsewhere to take serious action. The King of Denmark sailed to Germany with a large force intending to take part in the crusade, but returned to his own country on realising no other ruler would be supporting him. The Third Crusade quickly fizzled out without any major battles having occurred, an even bigger debacle than the two previous crusades. The failure of the Third Crusade briefly gave the Hussites a respite from foreign invasions. However, the lack of a common enemy reopened internal divisions, usually on questions of religious doctrine. In August 1423, such differences erupted into open fighting between the rival groups of Hussites. Žižka, realising that Hussites had no chance of fending off outside attacks if they were constantly at war with each other, made efforts to find common agreement between the different sides. One way of trying to achieve this was a joint expedition into Moravia, a neighbouring region which included a population of Czech speakers. Here the Hussites met with a degree of support among the locals, but failed to make significant gains. On one such campaign, Jan Žižka fell ill, possibly of the bubonic plague, and died on 11 October 1424. Zhuishka's followers were devastated at the loss, especially a faction called the Orobites, who now called themselves the Orphans as a tribute to their late great leader. Fortunately for the Hussites, another impressive leader soon emerged by the name of Prokop, who earned himself the sobriquet the Great, as well as the Bald or the Shaven. Prokop changed the Hussite strategy, being much more preemptive in efforts to invade those neighbouring territories from where previous crusades had derived. These provocations were bound to cause a reaction, and in 1427 a crusade was launched against the Hussites for the fourth time. Pope Martin V appointed Henry Beaufort, Bishop of Winchester and brother of King Henry IV of England, as leader of the campaign. The Fourth Crusade was, however, no more successful than the first three. The Crusaders suffered a heavy defeat on the 4th of August, 1427, at the Battle of Takov, and fled from Bohemia. For the next four years, no attempt was made by Catholic Europe to invade Bohemia. Instead, the Hussites took the initiative, sending raiding forces far and wide through Germany, Austria and Hungary. One group of orphans, while helping the Poles, even reached as far as the Baltic Sea. In these raids, the Hussites earned themselves a fearsome reputation across Europe. Such was the terror that the Hussites inspired that the enemy would flee rather than engage in battle. These foreign incursions became very profitable, as the Hussite army not only brought booty, but forced many towns to purchase protection. The Hussite problem was no longer confined to Bohemia, but afflicted the whole region to the great anger of devout Catholics. It is believed that Joan of Arc, fresh from victory at the Siege of Orleans, wrote to the Hussites in 1429, threatening them with destruction if they did not desist in their heretical ways. One more effort was made in 1431 by Sigismund to defeat the Hussites militarily. He was under pressure from all sides by other civil wars and by the threat of an Ottoman invasion to his Hungarian lands. He was at the same time occupied in his ambitions to become elected Holy Roman Emperor. The army of the Fifth Crusade was intercepted by the Hussites at the town of Doma Žlitza in the far west of Bohemia, where they were holding the town siege. On the 14th of August a Hussite relief army arrived, reinforced with some 6,000 Polish Hussites under the command of Prokop the Great. The Battle of Domoslice was another resounding victory for the Hussites, who were delighted to find out how many of the enemy wagons were actually stocked with wine rather than weapons. The Crusaders could not understand why, if they were fighting for God against heretics, they kept on losing. After the humiliation at Domoslice, the Catholic leaders finally decided to seek a peaceful settlement to the Hussite problem. Negotiations began at Basel in 1433. However, in Bohemia, just as the prospect of a genuine and lasting peace was emerging, the Hussites were as divided among themselves as ever. One important issue was whether to force the Hussite practice of communion in both kinds upon citizens who had remained as royalists throughout the war. Some saw a tolerant approach as a necessary concession to achieve unity, others as a serious betrayal of their fundamental religious principles. Many Czechs were by now tired of years of war, bloodshed and destruction. Additionally, they were uncomfortable that their proud nation was being treated as a prior by the rest of Christendom. The majority moderate Hussites had never intended to break away from the Church, They wanted simply to worship the way they felt was closer to the true word of God, as written down in the Bible. They also felt that the more radical groups were attracting opportunists, soldiers of fortunes who were driven not by religious principles, but by greed. Prokop, determined to achieve religious unity across Bohemia, decided that Plejene, the one remaining stronghold in the kingdom, must be conquered, and laid siege in August 1433. Unfortunately for Prokop, the city resisted strongly, and the siege widened existing divisions among the Hussites, leading to a mutiny within Prokop's army. This led to an alliance forming between the Czech nobility and the Old Town of Prague against the more radical Hussite factions such as the Taborites and the Orphans. The moderates and radicals faced each other at the Battle of Lepani on the 30th of May 1434, which turned out an overwhelming victory for the moderates. Hundreds of radicals were killed, including Prokop the Great, and their surviving leaders captured. As a consequence of the battle, the Taborite army was markedly weakened, and the orphans virtually ceased to exist as a military force. The Battle of Lepani led directly to the end of the Hussite Wars, as the radicals could be sidelined and Sigismund was by now prepared to compromise. At the Council of Basel, a watered-down version of the four articles was accepted and ratified. Although the communion in both kinds could be freely given throughout Bohemia and Moravia, it was not mandatory. In addition, free preaching of God's word would no longer be limited to the traditional Catholic hierarchy. In short, it was a victory for the moderate Hussites. Sigismund was by now an elderly man, and longed for unchallenged rule over Bohemia, which he regarded as rightfully his. On the 5th of July, 1436, the agreement was formally signed, and Bohemia's excommunication was formally repealed. On the 16th of August, Sigismund declared peace, bringing 17 years of war to a close. A week later, he rode into Prague as the acknowledged king. He had little time to enjoy the throne, though as he died the next year on the ninth of September, 1437, aged 69. Sigismund's overall legacy is hard to assess, and he was involved in so many things over his lifetime. Some historians describe him as ineffectual, while on the other hand, Brian Cartilage, for example, in his book The Will to Survive A History of Hungary writes that in Western Europe his contemporaries held him in high regard as an accomplished statesman and a worthy emperor. For sure the Hussite wars were not his greatest moment, although in the end he did finally achieve his ambition of gaining the Czech throne. As for the Hussites, after years of warfare they had won at least a partial victory and the right to certain religious freedoms. As Czorny and Pokorny conclude in their book a brief history of the Czech Lands to 2000. Quote, after a stormy period, Bohemia became a region of religious tolerance, although this was, of course, a toleration born of necessity, since political leaders were aware that after a long period of revolution, when Bohemia had lost up to 40 percent of its population and was struggling with economic problems, the state needed tranquillity. quote. All successive popes regarded Hussite practices as intolerably heretical, but were unable to stop them. They continued in Bohemia until in the 16th century, when the Lutheran Reformation absorbed the Hussite churches into the Protestant fraternity. Although in later years Bohemia was absorbed into the empire of the Catholic Habsburgs, the Czechs always remained proud of how their 15th century ancestors fought for their rights against the might of the Catholic Church and powerful foreign rulers. Bohemia became the first state in medieval Europe to secure its citizen's freedom of worship. In the 19th century, the achievement of the Hussite revolution were important in the Czech national revival and remain part of the Czech national consciousness today. My name is Karl Reilert, and you've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. I hope you can join me again next time, when I will be speaking about an important but not so well-known battle, the Siege of Nancy in 1477, the climax of the conflict between France and Burgundy. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.